0: Hi everyone, you're listening to AI Exposed, a podcast dedicated to all things artificial intelligence, including topics such as machine learning, vision and language processing. I'm your host, Justin Scott, a senior development manager at Microsoft, working in the premier support for developers area that helps companies all over the world with application lifecycle management, software development best practices. And of course, we can also help your team with your own company's goals in development or in artificial intelligence as well. You are listening to the very first episode of this series where we're going to interview TJ Olegetto, who's a data scientist with us at Microsoft and is right out of Redmond. I got a chance to sit with TJ and have him explain some of the details of a recent machine learning project that he was involved with. Now in this episode, we talk about a full life cycle of a project. We go through everything from collecting the data to uh, some of the tools that are used, and even some of the customer interaction. I do have one confession to make though. There was one point where he mentioned the customer's name and although the customer most likely wouldn't have an issue with it, uh, we just didn't ask the permission. So there's a little bit of a, a bleep in that spot. So just want to give you a heads up on that. Enjoy the show. All right. Hey TJ, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, So, I'm really excited to talk to you about this uh, project that you started, and uh, we're going to go through some of the uh, successes and some of the challenges you had. Uh, First, can you just tell us a little bit uh, about yourself?
1: Uh, Sure. So, my name is TJ. I am a data scientist in the Data and Decision Sciences Group. We're uh, a group of data scientists in SESIT, and we work on primarily internal and external engagements in a variety of industries.
0: All right. Sounds good and uh, and where were you before Microsoft?
1: I uh, graduated in 2015 and I joined Microsoft uh, right after I graduated. Uh, So I've been at Microsoft for about three years now.
0: Oh, Okay, well great, great. So tell us the problem that we're gonna cover today. What what exactly did you guys uh, undertake?
1: Okay, so at a high level the idea was we wanted to see or we wanted to test if when a student enrolls in a class we can predict how they perform, and I'll go um, I'll go into detail as to why that might be problematic. But the idea is when a student registers for a class, are we able to tell how they will perform by the end of the semester?
0: Gotcha. I see. So you guys are wanting to uh, – or somebody internally approached you guys. Is that a fair statement, or was it – do you guys directly involve with the customer, or do you go through another group?
1: Um, there's a few things there. So we previously worked on a project with uh, Tacoma Public Schools. It's been a, a, a really popular showcase. So a customer reached out to us, or uh, reached out to MCS, and was interested in engaging with us, doing something similar with ML in their space. And so uh, MCS with a few other folks in MCS uh, who work with our team. So we formed a, about a nine-person team, and we worked with the, with the customer.
0: Sure. So for our audience, MCS is our consulting arm of Microsoft. So they would be who actually directly engaged the customer and you guys helped out behind the scenes. Is that a fair statement? Yes. All right. So they approached you to uh, help them figure out how uh, and I'll make sure I say it right, how to solve the fact that there were uh, too high of a dropout rate for their comfort uh, or at least how to improve it even if it's a a decent rate. They want to they're trying to say, how can we prevent people from dropping out or solve that problem?
1: Yes and no. So this this leads into the larger discussion. So when we started the engagement, we have or we usually start with uh, a, um, a a a goal finding workshop, for lack of a better word. Uh, but the idea is a customer has an issue, and we try to get to the root of what the what the actual problem is, right? So like you mentioned, they're saying, oh, students aren't graduating, how do we fix dropout rates? But then once we start having the discussion, we realize there are a few things underneath that are uh, contributing to to students dropping out. And one of those things is pre-college course failure. So they started out with defining their problem as, uh, as dropout rates, right? And the idea is when we get into a deeper discussion of what types of data they have and what they think might be the reason for students dropping out, one of the things that jumped out at us was that pre-college course failure was a key point where students might decide to drop out. So I'll backtrack a bit so I can explain what that is. so for any educational institution, the goal is to get a student to graduation or to, to degree completion. That's kind of the their high-level goal, right, for most uh, educational institutions. But for open enrollment institutions, they basically have to accept anyone with a high school degree or a uh, GED certificate, which means that when students come in, they might not necessarily be academically college ready. And the idea is uh, when they come in, they take a, a placement test similar to the SATs or, um, Or an aptitude test that determines what college class, uh, what math or English college class they get placed into. And so if they come in and they're not quite college ready, they get placed into what are called pre college classes. And the idea is the pre college classes are supposed to help them get ready for the uh, college level classes that they must eventually take in order to graduate. And so the idea is at this point, um, pre college classes are a key barrier to. To students uh, moving forward. So if they can't get if they can't get past the point where they go from a pre-college class to a college level class, that's usually the point when they drop out. And so once we decided on that, the idea was okay. Instead of trying to target dropouts as a whole, let's focus solely on pre-college course failure.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So it makes perfect sense. So how did you guys go about tackling getting some at least initial data to start maybe? Uh, coming up with ideas of possible reasons this could occur.
1: Okay, so the first thing we did was explore the data sources that they have available, and they have quite a few, um, like most educational institutions do. So they have four main categories of data. The first one was the student information. So this is all of the demographic information about, it, about a student that's collected when they apply for admission to Bellevue. So it has things like their student uh, race, ethnicity, their address, their zip code, um, the previous degree they've earned, so whether they're coming from high school or they have a GED, um, their family income, their family status, if they're working or going full-time. So basically capturing all of the circumstantial data about a student that tells us that student's story. And then the second category of data we have is the course information. So this is all of the information about the particular course. So what semester it's it's taught in, maybe it's fall or winter. Uh, the duration of the class, or if it's a six-week versus a 12-week class, or how many times a week the class meets, um, and then if there are any extra fees in the class or any tuition that's in addition, those also get captured in there. The third group of information we have is the instructor information. And so this is information about the instructor who's teaching a particular class. So things like the, uh, the instructor's highest degree, whether they have a PhD or a master's degree, whether they're full-time or part-time, what their primary department is, and then how many years uh, they've been employed at Bellevue College. So there's quite a, few, um, quite a few other features in there. And then the last one is the placement test information. So like I mentioned earlier, this is the aptitude test that the student takes to decide what class they get placed into. All of those four data sources uh, lead to about 150 features that we use to predict how the student might perform.
0: Okay. So you got these features. You got a bunch of data. Uh, Let's just talk about just the challenge of getting that data in the first place. Was this something that the the customer had readily available, or was that a, a large part of the project as well, just getting the data?
1: So one of the things that worked really well is their data was already set up in SQL, so that was great. We ran into a few data quality issues, but most of the data availability, uh, all of the data they had, uh, it was easy to get access to because it was already in a uh, SQL database. Gotcha. But well, you don't there see are that Yeah. Uh, usually, that's getting the data is the biggest problem that we have. Gotcha. Well, the problem okay. is getting data is quite different from getting quality data. So we ran into quite a few data quality issues. So I'll give you a, a simple example, right? The student information, for example, that's collected when a student applies for admission um, right at the time of admission, which means that if we're looking at a student who's been uh, at the college for maybe two, three years, well, that information is not up to date anymore because that information was collected two to three years ago when they started. So we had to deal with a lot of uh, those types of uh, uh, non-fresh types of data. Gotcha. And then another issue that we ran into is most of the admission data is collected in an, in the application form that the student submits, right? And so most of these disclosures are up to the student. They don't necessarily have to fill these out. So we had to deal, deal with a lot of missing data or um, just data not being entered correctly.
0: I see. Okay, so you get this data in. What tools did you utilize? What where, where did you bring it into? What did you start munging the data with? Okay.
1: Uh, so like I mentioned, all of the data that we're looking at was already in an on-prem SQL database. So we set up uh, workflows in or pipelines in Data Factory, Azure Data Factory. And for those who don't know, Azure Data Factory is, uh, helps you orchestrate or schedule data movement. So what we're doing is using Data Factory to create pipelines that would move the data from the on-prem SQL database to the Azure SQL database and fully automate that process so no one would have to manually handle it. And then once all of the data is in an Azure SQL database, we can easily connect to it in Azure Machine Learning where we do all of the modeling, the um, insights, all all of the ML magic. And then once we get predictions, we output that to Power BI. Okay. And the goal of the Power BI is to create dashboards that we can share with people who can take action on, on the data. So okay. when we predict how a student is going to perform, we want to share that with the college administration. So people like the teachers who teach the class, the faculty, the administration, and the student advisors, since they're the ones who will eventually take action on those predictions.
0: Gotcha. Now, one thing you said that uh, stood out to me. Uh, you set up pipelines. You did that right from the beginning, or did you guys model a little bit, kind of do a little proof of concept of whether you could even create a model, or right from the get-go you set up those channels so that it, even when you start solving this, you could kind of get refreshed data at any point?
1: So we, we did that in tandem uh, since two separate two separate people were working on the things, and I think most of the workflow uh, we were working on in tandem. The idea was at the end of the day, we wanted to get to a fully uh, production-ready system, but in the in-between, the in between, we could work on uh, just one-time copies of the data. So when we started, all we had to do was do a one-time dump from the SQL database into Azure Machine Learning and start playing around with that type of data. And then someone else was working on orchestrating the pipelines to actually move the data back and forth. So then once the the pipelines are ready, all we do is just connect the Azure SQL databases into machine learning. That way we're not waiting for one to be finished while we're, while we're working on the other. We can work on both together.
0: Okay. And I know you were part of a, a larger team. Can you just briefly, what are some of the skill sets or, or folks that were on the team? Not specific names, but just some of the roles that were important in this. Uh, okay. So...
1: Uh, I think the first, uh, the first uh, role that was super important was a, uh, an architect uh, who defined the full length of the solution, and this is what it might look like. And then we had a purely data person who was working on most of the SQL magic, uh, putting the data in the right format, um, handling all of the missing data, doing all of the pivots. So that person was key in handling all of the SQL. And then that same person worked on the data factory movement which also I guess relies on a little bit of SQL knowledge. But mostly all of the data movement needed a primary data person. And then on the machine learning side, we had two data scientists on the project, uh, of which I am one. Um, And then on the Power BI side, we needed someone who was uh, comfortable with UIs and designing dashboards and being able to translate the, the insights to the end user.
0: Okay, and so when you talk about visualization, like using Power BI, was that able to start some parallel task while you guys were taking care of other stuff, or was that uh, definitely kind of a downstream type process? Or I almost I I don't want to say waterfall in the right fashion, but there Mm. were certain steps that had to be taken after another, certain dependencies.
1: So Power BI worked uh, similarly in the same way as the data factory worked. So once we had our first model ready, the idea was we wanted to get it right in front of the customer, get their feedback on uh, this looks good, this is what's important, Uh, these are the things that we need to see more of, right? So once we had our first model predictions from Azure Machine Learning, we immediately output that into Power BI, and someone is working on designing the dashboards and uh, validating that with the customer. But in the meantime, we're working on the back end on improving the model, trying to figure out what more features to add, or what else we could improve.
0: Ah, I see. That makes sense. So I'm, I'm trying to walk through this, keep walking through this process. Uh, so you guys are, you've got data, and you're part of the team that's actually sifting through this data, uh, and you're trying to create a model, were there any challenges along the way? Uh, for example, you said there were a lot of factors right from the beginning. Uh, were mm-hmm. any challenges other than the grooming of the data to, to get those models going?
1: Not really. Let's see. The, we obviously had to handle all of the missing data, uh, but one of the things we also needed to do was capture additional data that wasn't necessarily captured in the raw data. So this is uh, its usually called feature engineering or feature generation. And the idea is there were some important uh, features that the instructors or the or the college administration mentioned that they thought were important, but that we couldn't capture in our data because we didn't have those in the original feature set. So what we did here was try and create new features to capture additional information. So things like is the same instructor teaching the same class or um, or is it a different instructor? Right? Is the student retaking the same class? Are they repeating the same class or are they taking a new class? Um, what class the student is going from? So are they're going from Math 98 to Math 99 or Math 99 to Math 101. So all of these help uh, include uh, SME information or subject matter expertise in the model instead of just relying on the original data set.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you guys go through this model, you start figuring out things, and I assume you're whittling out certain uh, factors that are no longer considered... Uh, valuable parts of the model now do you get to a point where you pick the top four or five items and that's what you go just so that the customer has uh, something tangible to start working with or do you kinda give them the full model and uh, and let them figure it out themselves or do you guys actually come back with suggestions how does that process work
1: okay so we did that in in a way that I think really um, really helped the customer so we divided this into three separate aspects, the descriptive portion, the predictive portion, and then the insights dashboard. So on the front end, like you were saying, the idea was, okay, now that we've modeled this data, how do we go back to the, to the administration and say, this is what's important, or this is what you need to focus on? So the first part was the descriptive portion of, of saying, okay, based on the data that we've seen, these are the, the factors, uh, and I think we did top 20 or top uh, 30, These are the key factors that are important in predicting how a student performs. And then uh, on the full model side, we keep all of the original features that we start with, except for the ones that are mostly missing, and then we run predictions through those and come up with with a prediction for the student saying, if a student has these features and they're taking this class, this is their probability of success, right? And then once we get that probability, it dives into the third part where we say, okay, For a student, this is the probability of success. And then on the dashboard, we say, these are additional features that might help inform why the student's probability is so high or so low. So if we're saying that student's probability of success is uh, 90% or 99%, we're saying, okay, these are the key features that might help uh, inform what that prediction is, right? So maybe their GPA is really high, or they're full-time instead of part-time, right? or they have uh, an associate's degree before coming to the college. So all of that information gets shown on the end dashboard.
0: Okay, so now that you say this particular uh, this student uh, yeah. has a 50% chance, right? It's a pretty low what they, of what they want to see, pretty low odds of them continuing on. Mm. What do they do from there? Uh, what, what is, how do they know what to actually change in their school from that information?
1: Okay, so there's a, there's a few things there, um, and I think I can—if uh, I go into the actual examples. So one of the things uh, that customer has is a, a sequence diagram. I'll try and explain this so you can intuit it uh, visually. So the idea is when a student comes, there's a sequence of classes that they go through to eventually get to a next class, right? And in our analysis, one of the things we found was that, oh, there were certain routes that were more optimal for a student to follow, right? So if a student wanted to take, um, let's say, elementary algebra one and elementary algebra two, they could take those two classes, which would be a slower route for them to take, or they could just take one giant algebra class, right? But well, what we found was that for some students, if they took just the one giant class, it reduced their probability of success in the next class that they take, and so that's that's where some of the some of the uh, the courses of action for the administration came from, right? One example was the idea that, okay, maybe there's a specific route that works for each student. Maybe taking 98 and then 99 is not the optimal route. Maybe they take 96, 97, and then 98. That way they're better ready when they get to uh, course 99. Ah, gotcha.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and does does it work uh, not always in a positive manner in the sense that uh, perhaps they found out a professor is possibly a culprit of some dropouts? Did they, did they get that kind of news as well?
1: Yeah. So in the, in the descriptive analysis, uh, one of the things that we were looking at was how a particular, how a partic- a particular feature might affect a student's probability of success. So really simply, uh, I'll explain the, the logic that we used here. The idea was if we keep all of the information about a student the same, and then we change just one feature about them, how does that define their probability of success, right? So if we say, okay, Justin's a student, uh, all of his information is the same, and then we say, instead of instructor X teaching him, instructor Y is teaching him, how does that affect uh, Justin's probability of success, right? And so one of the things we found out is the the probability changes drastically the, depending on the instructor. And it's important to mention in here um, that this is an exercise in correlation, right? We can't necessarily say that instructor S is just or instructor X is just so much worse than instructor Y. That's why their probability is lower. There could be a few underlying things that are going on um, in the model, like maybe instructor X teaches a more difficult class, or uh, or instructor Y teaches a much easier one. But basically, the idea is that for each student, there is that variability depending on what instructor they take the, the class with.
0: Okay, makes sense. So yep. let's just dive a little bit into your actual project. So uh, I, I guess I'm talking specifically when you're in HD Insight. What particular models, if you happen to remember all the details, uh, were there any particular models that uh, went took you down a bad path and you, you had, in other words, you experimented with these and it just didn't work out? And, and do you happen to remember why that didn't work out? Um.
1: Nothing specifically uh, model related. Our we're outputting a probability, so we used uh, logistic regression. Um, we found that logistic regression worked generally better than decision trees, and logistic regression was also easier to explain to the customer. So one of the key things that were that we were. Um, that we're keeping in mind when we're trying to decide on an end model was we didn't want to sacrifice accuracy over interpretability. And what I mean by that is we didn't want to hand off a black box to the customer that they wouldn't understand, right? So the idea was we had to pick something that would be easy to explain but also highly accurate. I see. And there's a there's a trade-off between the black box models that are usually more accurate versus the the ones that are easy to interpret, but are also um, slightly less accurate compared to the black box ones.
0: Sure, sure. And, and were there any, uh, again, a specific, do you, do you recall any overfitting problems that you had to overcome?
1: Um, we didn't. Well, we divided our, um, so the validation we used was dividing into training and testing. We used about a 70-30 split where we train our data on 70% and then validate it on a test set of 30%. And so the—well, even though that's based solely on all data, the next validation step is putting this into practice, actually, right? And so the idea is for this semester that we're in now, as we get in new students, we're going to use them as test cases where we input them into the model, predict how they perform, and then the college administration gets that data, and they get to actually play with this and intervene on a student-by-student basis. And that's when we were truly able to test how accurate our models are.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's really interesting stuff. So a couple closing questions for you. Uh, First is, you know, the school learned a whole bunch from this exercise. Is there anything you specifically learned that maybe in the next project that's similar, you would take a different approach? Mm,
1: I think a key one was the interpretability. So the... When we started the project, the their main goal was to predict student, students that drop out, right? And then one of the things that we sort of teased out in the discussions uh, with the instructor and with the college personnel was, okay, it's key to, to understand whether a student is going gonna, is gonna to fail or not, or drop out or not, right? But that's not enough. If um, action needs to be taken on behalf of the student, they need to understand why. So a key focus was not just predicting how the student will perform, but also understanding what features are drivers of that prediction. And so I think really for any, for any machine learning project or any data science project, the key is being able to understand what features are important in defining what you're predicting, because really that's what defines what, what actions the customer can take going forward.
0: Absolutely, that's sound advice. Uh, last thing. TJ, what's on the radar for you? What are you looking to do in the next couple of years? What's what interests you in the technology world?
1: So, uh, huh. That's an interesting question. Um, right now, we're working on a few um, a few customer projects, uh, mainly in the healthcare space and in the uh, finance space. But even in our group, there's a few things or a few interesting projects related to IoT, cognitive analytics, um, seeing how that performs.
0: Um. That's
1: pretty much it. All
0: right. Well, hey, TJ, thanks so much for your time. I think the audience learned a heck of a lot from this, and it's, it's great hearing from actual real-world projects uh, that were successful like yours. So thanks so much for your time.
1: Absolutely. Happy to share. All right.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us on AI Exposed. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Scott, and I'd love your feedback on this show. Just hit me up on Twitter at AIExposed or send me an email at Exposed at Outlook.com. Take care.